uh, three strikes for a reason, boys and girls. Next pitch. Next pitch. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dogs and cats, children and babies, not baboons, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Driveline Academy podcast, the home of the world's most dangerous youth baseball podcast with your marble mouth broadcaster, uh, Devin Morgan, uh, director of youth baseball, founder of the academy, guy that talks a lot about youth baseball online aggressively. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Sure. All those things uh, joined as per usual by my brother by choice, not by blood. Tradley Academy Assistant Director, Partner, International Man of Mystery, Jeremy Tectiel. Hello. Um, I have notes. Ooh. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm trying to get a little bit more organized with this. We got thing. props too. Um, we got well, uh, eagle-eyed viewers that are joining us on an audio audiovisual platform will notice that we've added a little bit more flair to the room. We're giving you the 28 millimeter wide shot instead of 35 because it's starting to get there. Um, we should add some other stuff. We got more room in the shadow boxes. We, we, we can put some more stuff, especially on the table, too. We got some real estate. Suggestions for what should, we should be putting uh, in the pod room. Devin at DrivelineBaseball.com. Please don't blow up my inbox with, like, weird stuff. Don't be weird. Like, just if be normal. If you're going to be weird, D-E-V-I-N at DrivelineBaseball.com. Sure. Give that a try. Yeah. Uh, and then for the normal people, two E's. Um, <laughs> typical housekeeping, as per usual, while I wrangle this mic stand. Um axbat.com code dl20 get yourself 20 percent off um i've done these ad reads for a while we've been doing them for a long while because we, yeah. we've had this now for four or five months the deals with axe um and as i was doing this podcast by myself in my drive home because your boy is very like anxiety anxiety driven and just like rehearses things to death um i thought we would just talk Look, if you want 20% off at Axe, use the code. I think we should talk more about why. Because um, we've talked about this before. Listenership continues to grow. So if you're new to us, let me explain why. Um, all this money that we use from the discount codes, we get a slice of it. Yep. And that slice goes to one place, one place only, and that is our scholarship fund. Yep. Um, it does not go to um, my motorcycle fund. It does not go to Jeremy's European vacation fund. It goes to allowing us to bring kids in to do this thing for either no cost or produce cost. We do have codes for the motorcycle fund and the European vacation fund. Sure, funds. yeah. Just hit us up separately to, to get those. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to give up my Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, my wife would be very displeased. <laughs> so the point is, is that we are trying to do this in a way that just allows us to spread what I think is a good thing, which is the way that we develop kids here towards kids that ordinarily would get shut out for that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's great that we're able to do that in partnership with Axe because Axe has been such a valuable partner of drivelines for probably almost 10 years at this point. Yeah. I mean, if, if I think about it, we're, we're at least we're getting close. Um, and let's talk it's about... Decade of data was five years ago. Yeah. Oh. That, that line was five years ago. Yeah. And it's so. the guy that made the decade of data line. That yeah. weirds me out. Uh-huh. Um, so let's talk about a story of a kid who plays here for no dollars. Kid by the name of Mata. So um, Connor Reynolds, uh, driveline underscore RBI, I think on all his socials, um, works with us. And Connor posted a, a clip last night that I retweeted this morning of Mata hitting an absolute tank yeah. uh, on the 90 field. Yeah. Um, so this isn't, you know, this isn't just like cage, middle, middle, crotch shot, BP. This is on field. And, it, and it's BP, right? Like, that's what you're supposed to do. Mata did what you're supposed to do with that ball and just absolutely smoked it. Um, 
And I think if you had seen Mata two years ago, <laughs> you're talking about a kid who um, presented to us who had never played organized baseball before. Hadn't even played disorganized baseball. <laughs> sure. You, you know, like, I, I actually want to have that conversation with Mata about, like, why this was the, like, what sparked the interest. I believe. Because I don't know the answer. Proximity, honestly. I think, it, I think he just lived close, and they were looking for something for him to do. Because I believe, and we can cut this out I yeah. don't know if you've talked to them about talking about him. I just said you'd say it. Okay. Um, he had just started being homeschooled. Yeah. So I believe she was looking for somewhere, some way to get him out of the house athletically. Uh, they are, uh, she for sure is against football. Yeah. And, like, you look at that kid, every coach in the world is going to want that guy to play football. Yeah. Uh, so, like, she didn't want to do that and was looking for a sport that wasn't football. Um, and I, there was some, like, mild intrigue, and they were close, so yeah. they came in. So For Grow the Game, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, it was the second ones, yeah. I think. The I sec- think it was... second time we ran it. Yep. Um, and I think it's it's important to kind of put that in the context of what travel ball, select ball, club ball looks like nowadays. Because that was uh, the end of 12U for him. He yeah. came to us in, like, April yeah. of his 12U year. Yeah. Um, what does it look like to bring in a kid who is 12, going on 13, that's never played baseball before, that has the spark? Or has an interest, and then when we get him here, we have the spark. Yeah. What does that look like when you're economically blocked from participating? Mm-hmm. Right? Um and, and I'm aware, you know, Dryline is a for-profit company, right? We we aren't running a 501c3 yet. We've had some discussions about, like, how to, like, reconfiguration this thing in order to do that. But for you, dear listener, understand that of the four years we've been doing this, and again, we haven't done, like, the total accounting, but I'm pretty convicted, I'm pretty convinced, not convicted, that the total amount that we've given in scholarship is is well over $200,000 at this point. It has to be. If not, if not approaching a quarter million dollars. Yeah. Uh, Mike, thank you for not firing me. Um, <laughs> my public appeal to Lord Business CEO of Dryland Baseball, Mike Rathwell, and Kyle Bodie to not get fired in that particular moment is a joke because those dudes support what we do. Yeah. So you can say whatever you want about Driveline as a company. You can say whatever you want about me being a paid shill and doing ad reads and selling stuff, but... Again, I got a quarter million dollars would suggest we're trying to do something good here. Yeah. Right? I have a number of free training resources we put out for coaches and parents that would say we're trying to do something just holistically good here. Um, and the point, the public appeal that I'm making right now in the ad read, probably the longest we've done it for Axe, is if you, if you just want to see this thing shift, if you are part of the people that want to see the direction of this thing change and realize to a degree that that means providing access to kids that ordinarily don't get it. If you, if that's something you believe in, in your heart, axbat.com code diesel DL two zero, you're going to get 20% off. You're going to get something good because Axe has good products. They're high performing products. They're durable, etc. And you're also going to be doing some good. Yeah. You're going to allow us to support kids. And if you're someone who watches this podcast who like maybe doesn't, you already have Axbats for your team and you're a coach or your kid already has Axbats, or you don't have a kid and you just like listening to us talk about this stuff. Uh, may I suggest 
buying a set of Axbat speed trainers and donating them to a local Little League. Then you're sure. helping out a lot of people in that process, both scholarship kids and the local Little League by providing them with some training implements. Yeah. Because um, we're trying to do good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm aware that that sounds corny, but like we're literally like, we're trying to do good. Yeah. You know, I, I changed my career at age 40 to do something good, to be a part of this thing. Uh, I was able to wrangle you over to the academy side away from software, I think, because that resonates for you, like yeah. the mission does. Yeah. Like, that's why we do, I think, a pretty, not to pat yeah. myself on the back, but like, we can run this thing really well because at the end of the day, everything that we do, I think, is in service of like the broader good initiative. Develop kids, help them continue to play, help them love baseball, grow the game. Yes, and it uh, it kills me when people really want to and can't because they, they can't afford it. Right. Uh, because, like, you know, when baseball got the moniker the national pastime in this country, which I think most people would agree today, it's, that's, that We're is not, not a thing anymore. But when it was a thing, like, you know, I grew up listening to my grandma who grew up in Brooklyn talk about her playing stickball. Right. And her watching stickball be played and the devastation. And I know, you know, we're, we're, we're Dodgers fans here on the podcast, but like the devastation of them, like leaving Brooklyn and like that, but it wasn't, you know, they didn't have a ton of money. It was, let's go play in the street. And like that is, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Like you don't have, you know, I grew up loving the Sandlot. That was like right. the movie that made me fall in love with baseball from like a young age. That doesn't exist anymore. You have to rent those fields, yeah. and you have to have a lot of money to rent fields, which sucks. Like, you can't grab your friends and go play at a park. Yeah. I used to do that, and I used to get kicked off of parks when right. I was, you know, 15, 16. Right. And it's like, I'm trying. Like, I don't have the money, me and my friends, to, to rent this field for two hours. But, right. like, nobody else is on it, so let's, let's see how long we can stay here. And that sucks. And, like, working in professional baseball and seeing a lot of these – players from impoverished backgrounds in other countries not have that as their blocker. Right. Made it just so clear how unfortunate that has, that trend has happened in this country. And it's, it's obviously not just with baseball. It's with most sports uh, at this point that most sports have, have become a, an industry and like, it used to be, you know, the golf, the tennis, or the country club sports, yep. the hockey where you had to pay for rink time, like those types of things were like expensive because there was limited areas where you could do them. Right. Like limited amount of tennis courts and, and you know, golf links and whatever. And that's not really true with baseball. There's a lot of fields out there, but like this is just where youth sports have, have turned. Yeah. And it kills me to watch kids who would like fall in love with this game. And like you know, you could talk about the the numbers of, you know, the of black baseball players in oh sure in the majors and yeah historic you, lows historic lows and like you can look at the times of when it, it wasn't like that you know yeah. and then just see it slowly go down and it's basically a direct reflection of like the economic market of the sport and yep. bats becoming five hundred dollars. Tell uh, me about it. And yeah, your son just broke a bat this weekend. Yeah. Um. So it it is really really important to me as someone who didn't grow up uh, with means uh, to be able to provide these opportunities to everybody, not just the people who can afford it, but the people who can't afford it. Um, and this helps us do that as right. much as we possibly can. 
Correct. So, um, I mean, I, I think it's it's really simple, like, on its face to, like, make the game better. It starts with getting more kids playing. And once they're there, you got to keep them playing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of systemic issues that I think are affecting recreational opportunities for a kid like that to play. Yeah. That, that, again, you know, that, that's, a whole, that's a whole episode of its own, not just an axe, like an axe bat discount code ad read that's yeah. supposed to take about 90 seconds. Yeah. But this is the content that hopefully you guys tune in for. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, axebet.com, code DL20, donate, love, 20, mm. get yourself 20% off. Hell yes. Get yourself 20% off axebet.com. Um, the other, best one yet. The best other, DL yet. Yeah, the, it was much, I had to be easy on my guy, um, Rhodesy. I couldn't do Dallas losers again. <laughs> um, uh, the other thing that I will tell you about in terms of our housekeeping is this thing that I am going through right now, which is our skills of skill, complete youth baseball training manual, because I'm just trying to find you the quote uh, that we posted on, on social this morning, because it's a gas one. Um, point being that the book has a whole chapter about organizational culture because it's important. Um, and, and the thing that I said about it this morning on social, when I reposted, it, it's just like, Team culture is one of those things that I think means a lot to every single coach. If you ask them, like, oh, you know, the culture means a lot. Yeah. I think less of those coaches would be able to, like, define how they're going to create it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so what we did in the book is kind of break down team culture into a couple different pieces that are all kind of in line with this quote by this guy named Jacob A. Rees, um, who is a Danish journalist. And the quote goes, uh, when nothing seems to help, I go out and look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet, at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know that it was not the last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. And um, I'll throw this out there. Uh, Jacob Reese, uh, very famous journalist uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, I believe it was called How the Other Half Lives. Yes. Is like his, uh, his photo series book yep. whatever it was that he put out that like really shined a light on the economic inequality yeah. in America in during like the gilded age and and sparked a lot of change in this country yeah a long time ago yeah which is funny because there was another dude man this is a huge deviation this is a there's another guy there's a photographer guy named uh Jacob Holt who was like a Danish photographer that did a like a big photography series in New York in like the late 70s and early 80s like pre-crack and then post-crack hmm. and like it's it's really really good um it's jacob holt h-o-l-d-t or something like that mm-hmm. i could have bought it on amazon for like 50 bucks back in the day saved it to my cart and now i can't buy a copy for less than like 300 dollars. Yeah, which is yeah there's a lesson there anyways uh within the book you know yes i'm going to give you everything you got about skill development on the hitting and throwing side execution of the skills at scale concept which is a very direct attempt to help solve that thing right have kids fall in love with the game by doing the thing that's the most fun and also the action is all predicated on and then b develop those skills in a way that they don't just play now but they play for the inevitable change in play space which comes and on the team culture side what we're giving you is basically breaking it down into four concepts uh this general idea like pulling the chain in the same direction which i think i stole from rob riggins so shout out to rob um you got to have everybody going, like everybody has to agree on the mission. And sometimes that won't be the case, right? Especially I think with kids, when they, I think, I feel like that's more real when they get older, right? And everybody's like individual stuff might, might go in a different direction. Anyway, so we start there, uh, trust and open communication, basically how, how as a coach do you start to build trust and relationships with your kids? 
then finishing with this idea of effort, effort over outcome, which then dovetails into quality at bats, um, which is kind of like the practical application of all the theory, right? Like you, you want to build this culture that revolves around effort over outcome. It's defined by the relationships you have with your players. You want everybody generally agreed upon the mission of the team. How do you reflect that? The quality at bats, quality pitching appearance is the thing. Um, so skill to skill book, it's out right now. You can go get it. I think it's pretty good. Um, and apologies if you've seen my stupid face all over the place lately on your social media because we're doing some paid ads. Um, shout out to the Hardo Dad coaches that are always in my mentions lately because they're getting exposed. Seen your face so much. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm also they're, not. They're closing their eyes. Yeah, your face. Yeah, almost to the point that like I saw my face on social as I said in our department meeting was like I can't I'm tired of that guy. Um, you want to talk about Lavar Ball? Do I ever? So, as as one of, it, it, there can't be many of us who own Lonzo Ball Bulls jerseys. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> but you're like, right. I am one of those people. So, so I was thinking about Lavar Ball this weekend. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about it in relationship to this whole idea of like having kids again, kind of understand this this concept that Reese moves towards. Right, like the stone cutter, right? I'm gonna put in work over and over and over and the result will come later, but I know that it's not a result of that blow, but everything that came mm-hmm. before. Um because you know, I'm aware that my perspective on all this stuff is like largely defined by where I am with it. And where I am with it, loyal listeners know, uh, we're like two weeks away from my son's first high school baseball tryout. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going into it with um in an interesting place um i think as a as a hitter i think he feels really competitive and like everything you know he i think he feels like he's he can confidently go out and do his stuff um and on the mound i think he's working through some stuff and um and recently he had uh he had a live ab this last weekend that like didn't go great um and then he and i ended up talking about it for like 20 minutes and um and it was a, you know, it was a, it was a good conversation, but it was a difficult one. And, and it's like, it's really, it's a challenge to parent a kid in this game that wants it real bad when it's just like, we as adults are like, just opaquely aware that it's really hard. Yeah. And it, and it, and it's always going to be hard. Yeah. Right. And um, and, you know, I'm, I'm aware that like there I'm sure that he probably feels like there's some there might actually be some consequences coming up. Like the high school baseball tryout is coming up. He's going to go do this USA baseball NTIS thing. I have expressly told him in my role as the parent that like, look, the NTIS thing is whatever. Just go have fun. Yeah. Because I'm not going to send that signal to my kid at 15 that like this is some sort of live or die thing. Just like go have fun. Treat it like. Very similar to like the way that we treated the showcase yeah. a couple a month ago. A month ago, yeah. Um, but I, I realize you know that there's some stress involved with the the high school baseball tryout, um, and when he starts feeling stressed out, uh, I definitely spend a lot of time like thinking about what role I may or may not have in compounding that stress because I am desperately afraid that he feels pressure to do well because of me. Yeah. And like, I feel like we've had this conversation on the podcast. We have, I've had this conversation with Danny a lot and it's, it is not an easy spot to be in. 
and he knows that he's not going to let you down. Like right. he, he knows how you feel. Right. That doesn't necessarily change the fact that he's on the cover of a goddamn book. Right. And like, and I, and I man, I, I wrestled with that one. I, yeah. I really, really did. Even if he's not on the cover, he is uh, pictured as the he's poster athlete, right? Yeah. Like when we go through the drill section, yeah. it's all pictures of him doing the drills, videos of him doing the drills. Like, there's no. To me, this is like we could try to, you know, tell him this isn't that big of a deal, and like don't worry about it or whatever. And it, it's not true. Right. This is very similar to like the thing that I wrote about in the prologue of the book about when my grandmother passed away. It's in like in the pressure that he puts on himself. Right. And I suppose, I don't know, you know, I suppose that the simple thing to do would just like have him not be here. Right. Like have my job be one thing and have his baseball life be another. But like, but he chose it. Yeah. The way the way I framed it to him is... This is actually like a great opportunity to learn how to deal with immense pressure yep. early. Because if you want to go far in this game, you're going to have to deal with a bunch of people booing you and rooting for you to fail. Yep. Like your dad has a lot of people that uh, root for him to fail online. And, and because of that, they root for you to fail. Yeah. Uh, and they, they, I'm sure if you, if he went and looked at the comments or whatever, like he would probably feel pretty bad about himself. Uh, Cause that would happen pretty quickly. I imagine. Yes. Uh, with, with what people say in the comments. So like, this is a thing that a lot of players at much higher levels than you at 14 or right. 15 ever have to or should have to deal with. And, I, and I'm sorry because that stinks, but it's a really good opportunity yeah. to learn how to do that from a young age. I mean, I have, uh, and I promise I have made sure that he knows he is not Bryce Harper, yes. but like Bryce Harper was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 14. Right. He probably went through a lot of this stuff that you're going through mentally. Now, the cover of this book... Sure. Being on social media is not that, right? Like, and especially in, in that day and age when, like, social media wasn't yeah. as big of a thing. Like, yeah. I remember a 14-year-old being on the cover of Sports Illustrated and being like, oh, my God, like, what are we doing here? But it's a really good opportunity to learn how to deal with outside pressure because as he knows whether or not he always is willing to admit it in the moment, the pressure is not coming from you or me. It's there. Right. But he doesn't know who it's coming from. Right. There's not a face on like those people. It's just like an an overall sense of pressure that he gets from this community of people that both hate you and are rooting for him to fail and love you and are rooting for him to like really succeed. Correct. And like I Correct. you know, you're he's kinda caught in the middle of like wanting to spite one group, not wanting to let the other group down, and like always feeling these outside pressures that don't come from anybody he knows. Right. Because anybody who knows him tells him right. all the time. Right. I, it's okay. Whatever you do, you do. We right. will love you at the end of the day anyways. And it's, there's no right answer. Right. So, so two things. One, to make this relevant, to make this not, um, to make this not masturbatory, world's most dangerous youth baseball podcast. Um, I think I've seen enough in terms of relationships between parents that were coaching their own kids that this shouldn't just be like an episode that's like one of one for me. Yeah. Um, because I know two things about youth baseball. One, it's that there's a disproportionate number of coaches who are parents and they have a direct biological relationship to at least one kid, if not several on the field. 
It's not that they're on another 11 or whatever, but it's there's at least one of those kids that's probably theirs. And two, I know that that child desperately wants to make their parent, who is also their coach, happy. Yep. So if you're in that role, and I think if you listen to this show, the odds that you're coaching your own kid on a team or, in, or like decently individually high. are decently yeah. high. So, so again, hopefully this stuff is relevant for more than just an audience of me. <laughs> And, and you know that you might not fit into that boat, but you may fit into a boat of I have two kids, and the older one went and played college baseball, and the younger one has pressure to, to do that. Yep, yep, for sure, for sure. And it's not you don't coach them; it's not necessarily coming from you, but it's this like idea of pressure for sure. So, um, so enter uh, Lavar Ball. Enter Lavar Ball. So I'm, I'm with it. Can you can you post the video of him walking in, like I, like the real Levar Ball walk? Please, yeah. Devin. This is public ply. Right Remember, post the Levar Ball gift there. Um, I'm very curious to see where this goes. So, um, so we had this long talk on Saturday night after the live, um, and then I'm sitting on my couch, like, and I, you know, I didn't do any work yesterday at all, which is. <laughs> you know, for both of us to like, to actually like not really do anything is very rare. I also didn't do anything yesterday. Huh, babe? I slept. Um, yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, I didn't do anything and really, um, and the other thing that was a little bit unique is I actually got both of my kids to actually sit on the couch for the entirety of the Super Bowl uh, and watch the game. And not watch the game that a way that like most Americans consume content nowadays, which is like... Watch the game with their phone, yeah. Right, it wasn't that. They watched. Cora had to leave and, and go do a school thing, but um, but Danny like literally sat next to me and watched a football game for the first time ever, and saw the greatness that is Pat Mahomes. <laughs> the thing that we actually hyper focused on was the mistakes. Yeah, right. And there first, were a lot of them. Right. Yeah. First quarter, Christian McCaffrey coughs up a ball. Yeah. And and I'm sitting there. I'm literally sitting next to him. And I'm like, watch how he responds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, Pacheco yeah. fumbles the ball fumbles within the, the ball. And I said, watch how he responds. And Travis Kelsey bumps Andy Reid. Yeah. Watch how both of them respond. Right, right, yeah. 100%. Because uh-huh. I watched Reid's postgame talk, yeah. too, and, like, he was very, I think, appropriate, but, like, deflecting of it, too. So yeah. that, like, so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about uh, LeVar Ball this morning. Yeah. And... I'm sure that I had the same reaction that like everybody else did when he first came out. I was like, this guy is a clown. Like there's, there's, there's just no way. Like he's a clown. He's talking about like he could beat Jordan one-on-one. Like it's, it's preposterous. It's, it's silly. Yeah. But he was kind of right. Cause his kids are kind of good. So I've, I've gone full 180 on LeVar Ball. I was going to say 360, but that would be a full circle back to hating him in the first place. So, like you, when it, this guy's a goddamn clown. Yep. Uh, if, for those of you who don't know, and I already outed myself saying I have a Lonzo Ball <laughs> Bulls jersey, I'm a diehard Chicago Bulls fan. Uh, Michael Jordan is, will forever be the greatest player to ever dribble a basketball. Uh, or swing a baseball bat, maybe not. I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, 245 in AAA is insanely <laughs> impressive after taking a decade off. Anyways, uh, that like... You you say you could beat Michael Jordan and want to get yeah. and every ounce of credibility leaves and yeah. I'm just like this guy's a clown get him off my screen and then something weird happened as time went on it wasn't that his kids were good because I actually like watching Lonzo at UCLA that's I love watching basketball like that that the yeah. ball moves a lot yeah. it's not and this is like at a similar time as like you know James Harden and like 
the yeah. Daryl Morey rockets yeah, were becoming yeah, yeah. a big thing, and yeah. it's just like real. 38% usage rate for one dude. And, right. like, yeah, he's going to put up triple doubles constantly because he always has the ball in his hand. Yep. I didn't like – still don't love that style of basketball. And I loved watching Lonzo move the ball, be unselfish, play basketball the way he did, probably because that's how I play when I play pickup because I can't shoot. Right. <laughs> Much like Lonzo Ball. <laughs> so, so, like, I'm moving that ball all, all over the place. Um, and it wasn't – because I loved Lonzo even before Lavar became a thing. Right. Because Lavar didn't really pop up until they got closer to to like actual draft. The first half of that UCLA freshman season, yeah, it was kind of mid. Right. He wasn't like a thing. Like you never heard from him. So it, for me, it wasn't like oh they're actually pretty good. It was oh this is interesting. Lonzo's really quiet. Yeah. And Lavar, everybody hates him, not Lonzo. Now you, okay. He's everything is now about him. You're picking up, and I'm he's taking the brunt of of the abuse from everybody outside, and it's allowing his kids to play with not that much pressure on them because all the pressure is on him as a dad, and he doesn't care. So, so this is where this is where my yeah. brain goes, right? It's, it's like you know, I um, I get worried about this stuff, so I don't crow about my kid. Yeah, you know, like I'm. Look, man, you know, there's a different version of my social media history over the past like 12 to 18 months where I could go full LeVar and I wouldn't just go, you know, I, I posted a, some side view video of him the other day and I was like, swing update, pre-high school tryout edition. Can this be the, can this be the, like the one episode that we curse every once in a while? Yeah, sure. Okay. Fair warning. Because I know that some guy of you guys have like reached out about this stuff. We've given you probably 20, 25 minutes of content here that have been relatively P- PG. Yeah. Uh, we're going to send it for the remainder of the episode. I'm just going to talk the way that I talk. Yeah. So if you have children <laughs> listening, um, kids, these are adult words. Yeah. So, you know, don't don't embarrass your parents. And don't fucking repeat it, please. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's there's a different version of how I posted socially over the last year and a half that would just be like, my kid hit a fucking tank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's just like just ripping it. Yeah. Right. Like I, I could do that. And I'm like. I, I don't because I feel gross. And I felt the same way when I was coaching rec ball. Yeah. You know, it's like, look, I know that my kid's the best short set that I got. And I know he's the best pitcher that I have. And I know that he's the best bat that I have. But like when we would, um, you know, when we would, when I would run teams in, in rec ball, like, the whole reason that we were effective late in the year is because I didn't run the team based on what I knew before the first practice. Yeah. Right. And like the whole, the philosophy in this book and specifically a lot of the philosophy of like the youth baseball development certification was defined by like that 90 day period of rec ball. How do you split that into like a development phase and a competition phase? I knew on, on before the first practice, D's going to be the best one I got. I, I know it, but if I don't give these other kids a shot, and I keep like this spotlight on him. I, I feel like there's more negative that, than positive comes yeah. with that. But I'm I'm thinking about this whole thing, the struggle that he had with live on Saturday, how he feels about going into his his high school baseball tryout, and it's like, man, I I understand now that strategy of like being so aggressively positive about your kids. To the point that the hate comes to you and not them. Yes. Or or maybe a little bit more of it, right? Because, well, again, I'm sure that those kids felt like – but this is the second part of it. 
I, this is my ADD brain is just going wild right now. The second part of it is that I wonder if it was intentional in that, like, look, if you want to be good in sports and you get the thing that you ask for, you're going to have a target on your back anyways. Mm-hmm. Specifically, if you're like a high school kid who's good and is on a track to go to the next level, right? Because there's that group of kids and there are the other group of kids who just, they're not there, right? right? And, and again, you and I both believe in our ability to change those kids' lives and help develop them. But there is this thing of just like the leverage you get from being really good at 14 if you can compound interest from 14 to 18. And I'm sitting there like in my car thinking like, well, maybe that was the thing. Maybe what he was doing was intentionally drawing a little bit more of a spotlight towards them early so that you get accustomed and acclimated to it. So Because it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. That, and if it's more get. jarring later, yeah. then it could be more upsetting to your journey. Oh, yeah. Why don't we shine that spotlight early? Right. But here's the, the wrench I'll throw into that. He was quite a bit different with LaMelo than he was with Lonzo. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I And I... LaVar, come on the pod, man. Uh, but like, I... My theory... And, and this is like, you can watch interviews with both Lonzo and LaMelo. Uh, Lonzo is way quieter, uh, way less outwardly calm. I don't want to use the word arrogant because like all professional athletes have to be arrogant, uh, but like much less outwardly confident than LaMelo is. Yeah. And I think LaVar uh, knew that Lonzo was going to struggle with the lead up to the draft and everybody picking him apart. And yeah. saying all the things he was bad at publicly over and over and over and over again. So, like, I'm putting that spotlight on me. Yeah. And you can say anything you want about me. But, like, now every interview Lonzo had at that point, the first five questions were all about LeVar. They yeah. weren't about his inability to shoot or his weird yeah. shot or whatever. Yeah. It, all about LeVar. Yeah. And that's a much easier conversation for him to have because he could just be like, yeah, my dad's a good, right? Like, yeah, yeah you know, he's going to say what he's going to say and you could just blame it all on him. And to a degree, he's like... It's hard to not root for the kid at that point because he's like he, he's fighting hey, his dad, right? Like he's there's other just, forces at play. Yeah, you know, it's like it's my dad. Yeah. He's fucking whatever, right? And then like Lamelo, you did not hear a lot from Lavar yeah. to that process. Yeah, because that kid, he's going to Australia yeah. and and living pretty independently at that point. It's a very different. They're, they're two very different human beings. Yeah, and he dealt with them very differently. Yeah, uh, and like I think that there's a lot to take away from the way he did it that like I at first when he first came on the scene I was like this is got this guy's a clown who is just trying to use his kids to make money yep and you can't possibly think that's true now x amount of years later yeah when you don't ever hear from him anymore yeah quiet right if that was still a thing and like granted you know Lonzo's missed two consecutive years now it's it's a bummer uh please get better yeah I'll give you my knees if you want I don't need any of the cartilage that's still in them uh and, like, LaMelo has gone through some, some injuries and, like, the Hornets yeah. have not been very good. Yeah. But, like, they're both really good NBA players who are going to make a lot of money. And yep. it, he did very differing things, and they both worked. Yeah. The other thing is, like, think about Pat Mahomes. Yes. You don't hear a lot from Senior. Yeah. You really don't. Yeah. And, like, yeah. everything you hear is supportive. But, like, he's not trying to steal the spotlight. And it's... It really, uh, it's similar to coaching, but, like, you have to know the kid. Right. And, like, if you have a kid that you know, which, you know, he doesn't listen to this podcast, right? You're a kid? No shot he does. No. He hears enough from both of us that he doesn't need to listen to us. I don't think in his recreational time he's listening to me blather on here. If you are, I love you, kid. (laughs) Uh, 
But like, he's a kid that would probably struggle to get picked apart online. That he he would take it very personally and like really get into his own head if he saw a bunch of people commenting on all the stuff he doesn't do well online because in his head he already knows that stuff and now everyone's saying it and like it's I'm just digging a hole here. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I've seen, I've I've shown him some of it, some some of the stuff that like actually is directed to him, and it's funny because I think in almost everything else he does lean that way. Of being a kid that's a little, a little sensitive. Yeah. Like, which is, you know, look, I, I'm not going to criminalize his emotional sensitivity. You know, like he is a child. He, yeah. And and specifically because um, because of how he how he uses that tool to such a great degree in other areas of his life. You know, like. Um, but I remember, I mean, I actually probably have it saved on my phone because there was a, you know, years, I mean, I've got years of screenshots from being A, aggressively online, B, posting about my kids, C, working for Driveline. Keeping those receipts, baby. I, I keep yeah. some receipts. <laughs> so, like, you know, I know that I have a, I have a screenshot in there of some dude who's like, he'll be washed up by high school. And I showed that to D when it, when it happened. And when he sees stuff like that, he's very much... I think he's got like his old man in him where he's just like, all right, bet. Like, bet. Okay. We'll see how that goes. But, you know, but again, part of my thought about the LeVar thing is to what degree, like, look, from the outside, we saw his initial, um, you know, scream about his kids with a bullhorn. And it was like clown behavior. Right. I do wonder if on the inside, there's a bit of those kids that are like they appreciate it because that's your dad mm-hmm. being aggressively positive about yeah. how good you are. Yeah. Right? And and how could you possibly not be confident? Right. When your dad is out there as confident as he is in you. Right. How could you possibly and like Lonzo's making mistakes. Lonzo's shooting thirty five percent for the field right. in, in, from three in college. And his dad is still out there saying this kind of stuff. Yep. Like, yeah. Yep. So, you know, I don't know. I've just had such a, again, like you, like a 180 about the way that I've kind of thought about that yeah. stuff. And it's very different than like the like the baby Gronk thing. You know, the, the baby Gronk thing. Did you see any of that? Did you see that? No. It's so gross, dude. It, so that was a dad who had like a, it was like a 10-year-old kid or something. And they were calling him baby Gronk and uh, was basically just this big... Um, Horish social me- social media adventure to keep the spotlight on this kid because he was a big kid at eleven. Sure, and like the it was it was really 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 gross. There are clips of him like, um, like feeding answers to his kid during podcasts. Like it's it's all, it just it feels icky. Yeah, you know, the Lavar thing in contrast was empowering almost yeah. i think in retrospect in retrospect because in the so, moment it was icky yeah, yeah 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 but but in in retrospect it's just like man to be that aggressively aggressively confident in your kids abilities yeah. you gotta believe that like that made them feel good yeah it's the same you know? you know we've talked about this on the pod it's the same thing as you strike out i tell you i love you still right right, right. it's the same yep. thing like you had a bad game i am still going to go on tv on espn on the next hit right. and just scream about how you're better than michael jordan right right and, and so it's like you know there there is man, there's a part of me that's like uh as we move into this next phase of his life i'm either going to do one of two things i'm either just going to be quiet as a church mouse and i'm just going to let his thing be his thing 
or there's a part of me that wants to just go like full Lavar. There, there, there really is a part of me, and I don't because I, I, I don't want it to be seen as disrespectful. I, I don't want to amplify any negativity that already comes towards me or towards us. I don't want to make the other kids in our program feel weird. Right. I mean, I, I feel weird enough about having them on the cover of the book. I, I don't. I don't want to do that. But, but I understand it. Yeah. You know, like I, I think now I, I really, really understand the genius of uh, of Levar Ball. And I think you're right about the way that he handled Lamelo and what's the other one? Lonzo. Lonzo. Yeah. Uh, man. And and Leangelo, who, and Leangelo. Who, who played in the NBA. He right. played in the league. He wasn't For very sure. good, but he played in the league. For sure. Um. So so yeah, I I don't know. Um. I guess make of this what you will, listener. Um. I think there are moments that kids really need to have a parent that's like aggressively on their side. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and, and I guess the only thing that I would offer is I think that there's a lot of benefit to doing that when your kid has success. I think there's even more benefit to doing that when they struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you get in the car after an over four game and you're still the best player in the world. You could still take on Michael Jordan. Like, yeah, that's yeah. They're feeling some, a different kind of way at when they get out of the, when they get out of the car than when they got into it. Yeah. Um, man, I'm, I'm really conflicted about sharing this. I'm going to share it, and then maybe we'll cut it. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, Danny had a bad live. Didn't go well. Felt like he couldn't find anything. And, and look, man. Uh, can I add context? Yes. And we can cut this, too, yeah. if we don't want this shared. But 11 at night. Yeah. Or, or 10, 15 yeah, at 10, night. 10, 30 at night on a Saturday. <laughs> No catcher. Yeah. We had a, a tee that we had stuck a glove on top of like this so that it, that, that was the target. There's the context. That's yeah. really all you need. Ten, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. After having housed a bunch of pizza and goldfish. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and, and believe me when I tell you that when Danny called me, um, the first thing I tried to do was make him understand that exact context. Yeah. And it, but, but, again, it's so, it's so funny for kids – and, and I'm going to try to tie this back into, like, the team and organizational culture and, like, the quality at-bats thing, right? Like, we really advocate for this effort over outcome idea. We understand, if you watch the Super Bowl, the way that, like, the big thing is just, like, it's not going out and making the great play. It's how do you respond after you made the bad one? Yeah. How do you not let that carry into the next opportunity and start to define you as a competitor? And uh, kids, like... I don't. I can't paint a more clear example of why this stuff is important than the fact that, like, number one, coaches can kind of grasp this stuff. I think most adults can kind of understand this idea of effort over outcome. It's not mm-hmm. rocket science. You're going to have some people, you know, the fucking troglodytes that are just like, well, you know, we're we're trying to win at eight U or whatever. Hardo coach dads, good job. Um, but I think most of us understand this stuff and understand how it's applicable to competition in life. Um, I don't think, though, that the way to approach this stuff is like, well, I'm just going to install this stuff once, and then it kind of takes care of itself. Like, because again, I'm not trying to. I'm. I'm not. I am neither Lavar Ball nor am I Tom House nor am I whatever coaching paradigm. I am a bad baseball player who still loved the game and has kids that love the game, and I'm just trying to help them get as much as I could. Right. Um, and I've been saying this stuff for years in my household with varying degrees of effectiveness. But 
if the outcome of that is that I still have to like triage these moments with my kid at 15 and I'm me, I, I think a lot of coaches might be under indexing for how important it is that they try to provide kids with these contexts. Yes. Because, because left to their own devices, you know, the, the, the immediate thing that I got from my son was, um, was, well, now it's, it's two bad sessions in a row. It's, it's two bad sessions in a row. And I'm like, Hold up. Well, this one, you give me the entire context. It's Saturday night. We did data collection beforehand. There's no catcher. Well, this just doesn't mean anything, right? right? But but that's my logical brain. Right. His first one is reacting to what he perceives as struggle or failure, and like, well, I'm just I'm checking that box, right? I'm coloring I'm coloring this painting with one color, right? And then uh, and well, and, and the one before that wasn't good, but was it though? Because I remember the conversation that he had with you because he told it, told it to me about how he was getting outs without his good stuff. Mm-hmm. Context. Yeah. Right. The po- point being that I think children need this stuff. It can't be like a, a, it has to be team culture because culture is something that's pervasive. It's not an intervention. It has to be consistent. Right. Because if you don't, they might hear this message once and then it dissipates over and over and over, and then they naturally pay more attention to like their struggles. My you know? proudest moments as a coach are when I hear my kids talk to each other the way I have talked to them a yep. million times. Because I know, all right, I did it. Yep. I'm I'm using them as a puppet a little bit. Yep. Like they're sending my message that I have ingrained in them so much because I say the same things over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Until and what I've told them is like that when you are playing a game. No matter how many people are there, there are moments in that game where everything's going to go quiet. And the only thing is whatever's in your head. Yeah. And I am going to do my damnedest to make sure that's my voice. Yeah. Because if it's your voice, it might not be the most positive things you're saying to yourself. Yeah. So I want to make sure that it's my voice. Maybe you hear yourself saying it, but it's the things that I'm saying over and over and over and over and over again. Yes. And like I've showed him clips of Hard Knocks. I've showed, like, I will tell you, one of the most exciting things from the past, I don't know, week or whatever it was, that I saw was, and I'm not thrilled about the team selection, but the Red Sox doing the Netflix oh, yeah. baseball series. Yeah. Uh, I, like, you could draw a direct line to, like, I didn't know people knew, like, I knew what F1 was. I've never watched an F1 race. All of a sudden, everybody I know is talking about F1. Right. And I was like, why? Oh, uh, because of Drive to Survive. So, I, I think it's great for the popularity of baseball. Yeah. I also think it's going to be massive for kids playing baseball growing up. I'm hoping that it's like all audiences and not like a like a hard knocks thing where yeah, like you, yeah, you yeah. probably shouldn't let a twelve year old watch hard knocks. Yeah. Uh, but that that's HBO. This is Netflix. Yeah. I'm imagining it'll be edited yeah. a little differently. But seeing how they deal with striking out, because they get frustrated too. Yes. Right? 100%. Like and seeing like having a kid feel that uh, like that mental representation almost with like, Oh, that's how I acted. And that's how this guy acted. And then him flipping it real quickly and immediately putting it past him. Yeah. I think it's going to be really good for a lot of kids growing up playing baseball to watch how professionals handle this stuff. Cause there's only so many times I can tell them, Hey, I've been around a lot of pro players. This is how they do it. Then they watch it happen and they're like, Oh, that's how like the best players in the world talk to themselves and talk yeah. to their teammates and you know deal with 
striking out in a massive situation. Like, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of water, water coolers that used to exist, and a baseball bat was taken <laughs> to them, right? Like, that's a thing that happens all the time. Yep, phone booths or the little... Yep, little, yeah. yep. And, like, I mean, I think about uh, one of my favorite players to watch growing up who was an absolute psychopath, which is Carlos Zambrano, mm-hmm. uh, who, by the way, pitching coach of Team Venezuela, who just won the, the Caribbean Series and just threw a no-hitter. Well, I don't know if they won the series. They threw a no-hitter. Yeah. With the coaching staff of Ozzie Guillen and Carlos Zambrano. Yeah. Just <laughs> lunatics all over the place, right? Uh, but, like, you know, it was a, a common refrain in, in my household between me and my dad, and, and then our, my uncles were brought into this. Is like, I'm pretty sure that guy would be the best pitcher of all time if we could put him through therapy. <laughs> like if he could just overcome these things a little better yeah, yeah because yeah. when it was going well there was, was there were very nails, few pitchers dude. better than him but yeah, like yeah. one thing went wrong like umpire makes a bad call yeah. guy makes an error in the field whatever it was the wheels are fully off yeah. immediately yeah. and then it's just like you gotta take this guy out immediately he is absolutely nuts and like that was in a lot of ways important for me to see as a kid that like somebody on the team and they were a bunch of losers but I loved them growing up yeah watching my favorite big leaguers absolutely melt down on the field and then laughing about it with like my dad made me realize how goofy it was when I would melt down in a field and like what it looked like from the outsider perspective of like me melting down in a field. But I think this series and like actually getting a deep dive into the dugout and, and how they're talking to each other, how they deal with a strikeout and then coming back, you know, going back out to the field, their next play, whatever, like, that's massively important. Yeah. Well, like, in, you know, after the game uh, yesterday, I was watching uh, Chris Berman's interview with uh, Pacheco. And when I was watching him run in the fourth quarter, and I think Berman commented on it, he was just like, it was ultra aggressive. And it's football, so yeah. everything's aggressive. But, like, man, he was going in the hole. And he's not the, he's not a big guy, nope. right? But, but you know, it's Andy Reid. He's like, he's like we got to keep running in the middle. Um. And he's getting in there, and he's clobbering guys, and he's getting knocked around. He comes up, and he's just like, like he's just like this little, this little. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a terrier. Yeah, you know, it's just like a tiny little guy that's like ultra aggressive, high alert all the time. And then they get him talking to Berman after it words, and he was like, you know, Berman kind of hinted about like, you know, how did he respond to the fumble? And he was just like, and he literally like went into like it was almost a mantra. Fired off like four different things. He says, hey, you know. Just got to eliminate the distractions. It's we before me. Like he had boom, 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 boom. And on the one hand, I suppose you like I could, I could be catty about it and say that that feels like brainwashing. But what I really think it is is it's a conditioned, it's a conditioned response to is the it, thing that you know that's going to happen. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of difference between brainwashing and a conditioned response, right? Like right. They, like in a in a in a way, they're right. very similar things. Right. The brainwashing thing has like this negative connotation, but, but look, man, um, you know, I, I can't tell you who the best, you know, mental performance guy or girl is in the business. Uh, what I can tell you is that I think kids at a base state really continuously struggle with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which, cause adults do too. Right. Yeah. Of course kids are going to do it way worse. A hundred percent, which I think means it's important for coaches to start to like, use tools like this, your book page Hill, my bad, um, to do things like develop the relationships that will actually express truthfully to you how they're feeling about it. And then from that, how do you, how do you regurgitate this message to your team and hold them accountable to it, but then incentivize it when they, when it looks right. 
right? When they do the thing that you said where like you've got 12 voices in the dugout amplifying your voice and, and saying the same thing and like regurgitating the same phrases. Like that stuff is so flippant important and they need it. Mm-hmm. And, and like all of them, mm-hmm. not just the kids that you might expect to struggle, but like the the ones at the top of the top of the food chain too, because if you're doing the right thing and serving them appropriate competition, they're going to find struggle. Yeah. It's inevitable. Every like they all need it. Well, and like I would make this strong argument that uh, it has to be, if you do it with nobody else, you have to do it with the best kids on the team. Yep. Because that game looks a lot different last night at Patrick Mahomes panics at any point. And he, and he was not playing well. He wasn't playing well. Didn't panic. Yep. Turned it around. And everybody just like knew that he was going to turn it around because of his demeanor. And it's like that the the undying belief that we got the dude on, on our team that is going to win us this game no yeah. matter what. And if he panics a little bit, yep. that belief goes out the window immediately. And there was an opportunity. I mean, you could make the argument that like, the reason that the Niners lost is when they brought pressure on that, um, on that fourth or whatever, and, and Purdy just like had to throw it away. Mm-hmm. And game goes on, yada, yada. They had, a, they had a fourth and three to convert late in the game. Yeah. And, uh, and somebody was asking Mahomes about it. and he, Or no, they were asking Andy about it. He was just like, and Andy Reid said, yeah, Mahomes just said, well, I'm, I'm look here, I'm look here. If, I, if they don't got it, I'm just going to run for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're in the Super Bowl, man. Right. You're talking about this like it's a foregone conclusion. Niners defense is pretty good. Yeah. No panic. No, because that, that belief is just yeah. insanely important. The belief that, like, I'm going to do this, and if, I, and if I don't, that's all right. Yeah. That's, that's okay. I'm still the same me. Like, nothing has really changed. But, like... If you get the best players on your, like, no matter what, how big the team is, what sport you're playing, even if you're not playing a sport, if it's like a, a work team or whatever it is, if the most valuable person on that team, like, it's, if you're on a team, you know who the most valuable person is. Yeah. Like, everybody looks around and, and it's, it's, it may not be said, but like, everyone kind of knows. Sure. And if that person or that's those couple of people are just, always positive and always calm and always like nope it'll it'll come back we're fine we're fine the rest of the team has no choice but to believe well i can't panic if he's not panicking yep i'm i'm gonna follow my leader here yeah and like that is just watching patrick Mahomes last night and that just the the insane calmness at every point in that game yeah yeah so um so again, I, I do think that this hopefully is relevant to more of an, it's bigger than an N of one, right? If you're a coach that is either coaching your own kid, or if you're just like, you get a chance to put on your coach hat in the 20 minute drive to and from the game or from practice, you're going to have these opportunities where your kid is going to need context. And I, you know, I, I struggle sometimes about like how much of this stuff I should put out about the way that I've talked to D and Cora through these moments. Um, I guess for now I'll, I'll read the text that I wrote him and maybe I'll cut this later if I feel weird about it. Um, so anyways, he called me, we talked for 20 minutes. Um, he, he, I think he had, he was like, we got off the phone. He's like, Jeremy needs me to hit more. So it's like, okay, cool. We'll go. I let him take some at bats off. And then yeah. I went and was like, Hey, yo, go hit your team needs you. Yeah. So I sent him this message on Saturday at 1141. I love you, buddy. 
I know that when you struggle, it hurts because of how driven you are and how successful you expect yourself to be. There's nothing wrong with that at all. The trick is to be able to put context to experiences like tonight or any other time that you struggle. The experience isn't definitive unless you make it be that way. Because letting it be definitive, where you allow yourself to think that you're a bad pitcher or whatever that nonsense is, is the only thing that's actually going to push you off the path of getting better, which requires putting in more work. It would be easy if the work you have to put in never comes from a place of pain, struggle, or frustration, or that putting in the work is always because of some joyous or blissful success, but that's not how this game functions. You will struggle. You need to accept that struggle and then simply accept the fact that you are not perfect as a baseball player, because no one is. From that perspective, having had the realization that you aren't perfect in this game, you can now get some pretty clear signal about the stuff that you have to work on. That is a good thing. And to be really, really clear, if the thing you need to learn from tonight is that you can't throw five max effort pitchers as a precursor to try to get outs in the box, which we had to do data collection. Lesson learned. Hey, man, we learned a great thing, and that is the only thing I'm taking away from tonight. So, taking tonight away, that means you had one mound session that didn't go great, but you still got outs without your best stuff. Remember that conversation? Then, before that, was the showcase. We went. Well, well. Uh... Where you were the most electric kid we had on the mound. Kyle fucking Bodie noticed. That's a 50% success rate, even by your standards. But both are great efforts and great outcomes in the event in the eyes of everyone else. I'm probably hyping my kid up a little bit. I don't know that he was the most electric on the mound. But again, I'm, I'm going to play LeVar a little bit. Uh, again, nothing wrong with holding yourself to an incredibly high standard. But on the other end, it's good to try to find a perspective where you can give yourself some grace. Because in that moment, when we got off the phone, there was like he had no grace for himself. Uh, and this is what I finished with last thing you may not ever be perfect as a baseball player but you are perfect as my son I love you so much and you always make me so proud I love how passionate you are about the game and I just want to help you find a way to view it that keeps you loving the game but more importantly loving yourself alright I think this is the first time I've tried on the pod um can't be. There's no shot. Pretty close. Pretty close. Man, parenting is... <laughs> Active parenting of teenagers. God bless anybody that's in the middle of it. My wife and I are deep. We are deep right now. Um, it's just context. It's just context and framing. Um, I've probably said context on this podcast probably 10,000 times. And I will probably say it 10,000 times more. You have to before the message sinks in. Yeah, because I think that's um, that's the thing. Um, you have to say it more times than whatever he's saying in his own head. Yeah. Which sometimes is goddamn thousands. Yep. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So um, hopefully that's helpful. I mean, you talk um, about conditioning. You have, to, you have to help him condition that response. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a conditioned response. Because the, um, the, fir- the, the gut response is, I'm a failure. It takes so much time to condition that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I, you know, I think this is something that's like acutely relevant to kids who really are really driven. Because if, if you... It's an outlier. Yeah. It's an outlier thing to have that mentality as, at a young age. Yeah. And it's a skill that scales. Yes. Which starts with context that they may struggle to supply inherently, which is why it's... Yeah. Good coaches and good parents, I think, are, are really beholden to serve that thing. Um, 
on a much less emotional note, and we can kind of end on this, uh, we've got some user questions. Ooh, love some it. Some listener questions, which is a good one. Um, so Dustin Hawks, shout out to you. He submitted this over on Spotify on their Q&A thing, but it's a little character limited, so he actually did the whole thing over on YouTube. If you want to send us questions, do it on Spotify. And you're going to have to be efficient. You can use ChatGPT chat, chat to help you there. Or you can just do it over on YouTube. We'll do either way. Um, so here's Dustin's question. Um, I understand the emphasis on getting pitchers stronger because we live in a world of max effort pitching to get a swing and miss result. I'm sure. I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily max effort. I think the thing we are trying to do is like first principle. What's the best thing you can do? Swing and miss. Yeah, I I would say uh, we we do get this connotation, yeah. uh, I, and I think wrongly that we focus Correct. on like max effort pitching because that that's what people see the most. Right. And like what we tell our kids. The whole point of this is we're trying to raise your ceiling so we can also raise your floor. Mm-hmm. Um, what troubles me uh, with being stronger and throwing harder, injuries are also increasing, even with proper recovery, nutrition, and limiting pitches at the highest level. Um, I'm going to come back to that part. Uh, so the question is, why is nobody openly promoting pitching at 85% effort, pitching to context, uh, pitching to contact, efficiency, and learning pitches that promote ground balls at a youth level? Um, okay. So number one, Dustin, good question. And I think comes from a good place. And I understand, I understand implicitly all the things you're driving towards. I think there's a couple things though that we could clear up. Um, one, I think the, the assumption that, uh, proper recovery, nutrition and limiting pitches is happening is part of the problem here. Because I, I would love it if that, I would love it if that was the world we lived in. Like I got tagged in on this thread um, on Twitter this morning about like you know the big grand fixing youth baseball. How are we going to have some legislation to solve this? Yada yada. And like I'm not holding my breath. No. And one of the responses I gave in that thread was like the reason that we're doing things like writing books, putting out free material, running teams to exemplify the way that we're running our approach, is because this whole. The government's going to save us. We're going to introduce legislation. Like, I've, I've heard it. I mean, and I'm not trying to play my old man river here card, but I've been talking about this online for more than a decade and a half. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not expecting this to change anytime soon. And if that's true, then I think the only thing you can do is incentivize good behavior from good coaches and teams and show that there's actual, like, performance benefit to it, which is the thing that we are literally trying to do with Academy, right? I'm going to show you... That if you do this thing the right way, you can get outlier developmental results and keep kids healthy. Yeah. Um, so I think the, I think part of the like the logical fallacy here is that injuries are going up. Yes, I agree. Everybody's getting good nutrition, uh, recovery, and limiting pitches. That that's where this whole thing falls apart. Yeah, I don't know that uh, truly anybody does nutrition at a youth level like we do. Um, <laughs> And we still don't – our kids still don't do a great job of, and of sticking and to that. And that's us. Right. right? Like, like that, we try. Like, yeah. we, you know, we have a nutritionist that they can meet with, uh, that we pay for them to meet with. Laura McDonald. Laura, she's excellent. We love you. Laura Simmons. Oh, Laura Simmons. I'm sorry. Laura Simmons. We love you and we love your husband. Yes, we do. Uh, I lost my train of thought because I was thinking about Stefan. Um, the – Oh, kids. and, and – yeah. And once a week, she puts out a lesson that we go through with our kids, 13 and up, about nutrition. 
what to eat for breakfast, what to eat for dinner, how to have a plate that make, makes sense, what to eat before a game or practice, what to eat after if you're at a tournament, what to eat in between games. And it's still very difficult to follow because these aren't professionals or even college kids who can largely control their own food. Correct. And like it is a perpetual struggle where it's like, hey, we, I know you're not going to be perfect about this. And this is the thing that... You know, we've talked to a few parents about because um, we don't uh, we body shame here, but we body shame the skinny kids. Yes, like we want we gain weight. We want you to gain weight. Mass equals gas. Like it's right. it's physics. Right. You you can't. There's a limit to what you can do if you don't have the mass to do it. And with all the attention we pay on the long-term athletic development side or in the high performance side, however right. you want to phrase that, Correct. we we encourage them to eat healthily. Right. We provide resources like Laura. We provide the advice. We talk about it to them so that they can do it the right way. So right. that it's not like the um, shout out to Driveline OG Trey McNutt, the Costco pizza and a gallon of whole milk diet. Right. Shout I mean, out. If it were, if it were, well, I should, I don't know. Yeah, I don't no, know yeah. if that should work for anybody. Um, but like I, for me, a lot of times, uh, especially with my 15s, I'm, I'm glad they know what they're supposed to be doing. Because if I ask them, I know they know. Sure. Uh, and I know that it's not always going to happen. Yeah. And that, like, it's, it almost goes back to the weathers, right? Where it's like, I've given you all the information possible. Yep. And, like, if you're not doing it, then I can't, like, what, how can I help you? You have to know that you, you need to help yourself more. So the nutrition, even our kids don't do it great. And our kids probably do it, be- like, 99th percentile because they have access to a lot of information. Um, the thing for me with, like, the – and and – you know, we have a PT on staff, so it's not like I'm saying we don't ever get kids hurt. Kids get hurt. This is what happens. You're taking a risk. You're throwing hard. You're, you know, you can jam a finger, roll, a finger or roll an ankle playing basketball. Football, we all know the injury, the risks there. Like, you are inherently taking on risk anytime you do anything. It's all a risk-reward proposition, right? So, like, yeah. anytime you get behind the wheel of a car, there is a small, hopefully, risk that you are going to get hurt. But it doesn't stop people from getting behind the wheel of a car anyways. We can try as much as we can to minimize the risk with smart programming, with having them wear a pulse so we monitor wor- their workloads, with the nutrition stuff we're giving them, with explaining sleep and recovery and all that stuff. There it is not possible to get that risk down to obviously zero, but even in a lot of cases, an acceptable level for certain people. There's always going to be a decent amount of risk associated. Not like, again, I will uh, argue for my sport as opposed to another sport. You've heard us talk a lot about football on this podcast today. I love football. Uh, The risk you take getting hurt in football is very different than the risk you take getting hurt in baseball. Yep. That doesn't mean that there is no risk getting hurt in baseball as opposed to football. It's just more obvious what those risks are. But like there are there's no way you can throw an implement and avoid any kind of risk to your arm. It is it's just a thing that you have to be you have to understand, you have to be willing to make that trade off. So like, you know, I've had conversations there are guys that we get here and I'm thinking specifically of two types of player one is the high school gap you're going to college kid Mm -hmm. and the other is the graduated college kid didn't get drafted those kids come here 
and we are a little bit more aggressive with their programming than when we would be with other people's programming because sure we don't have a choice you may get hurt there's a there's a decent likelihood that like you're you need to gain you know if you're gap year going to college maybe you need to gain four miles an hour in a year we have to be really aggressive with that no matter what right if you don't make that four mile an hour gain you're not going to make it into college whether you're healthy not making that four mile an hour gain or hurt making that four mile an hour gain. This is a risk reward process equation that they have to do. And like the risk can be infinitely high for some of those kids because I'm not, whether I get hurt or not, I'm not playing at the next level. Correct. I have to give everything I've gotten. If I get hurt, I'm okay with that Correct. because I know that like, there's no way to get the reward I'm trying to get without, putting myself through the risk that we're trying to get now way different at a youth level right. where like their risk should not be there, but like th- it's always a balance, a trade-off. There's a proposition here that you have to understand and be aware of. There's a way to do this as healthy as possible. There is no way to do this completely healthy. When any kid is playing sports, there's always a risk of injury. Right. And I think for, for us, the reason that the configuration of Academy at present is basically like unilaterally, teams is because teams gives us the opportunity to control the variables that are going to contribute to risk that we can't accommodate for. Right. Right. So, you know, to, to this point, like, um, the presumption that recovery nutrition and limiting pitches is just going to have this, like this flat effect on everyone in the ecosystem, I think is incorrect. The fact of the matter is, is that you still have tournaments that are running a workload limitation based on innings, not pitch count. Pitch count isn't great. Innings is worse. Yes, it is. And especially the way that some of those tournament rule sets allow you to stack innings on top of each other. Like, this, again, the system doesn't control for these things, so there's no amount. Like, they're not paying attention to pitch smart, right? Yeah. They're, they're just not. Right. And if the teams act callous... And the tournaments give an opportunity to act more callously, you know, to kind of presume, I think, that recovery nutrition and, and pitch limitations are just going to have this, this all-encompassing all effect is just unfortunately incorrect. If yeah. you start to think about the reality of the system of amateur baseball, period, like that's uh, – Dustin, I wish that was true, but it's just not. Um, so then the second part of this, right – why is no one openly promoting pitching to 85% effort, pitching to contact, efficiency, and learning pitches that promote ground balls at a youth level? Dustin, my friend, let me tell you what we do here at the Driveline Academy. Uh, Jeremy already <laughs> let the cat out of the bag. We raise the ceiling to raise the floor. So understand if you want to talk about like data and biomechanics, and I realize that we're like probably an hour into this and we've talked nothing about like emotions and, and coaching, you know, coaching salad, but let's talk about some data. The most stressful pitch you're going to throw is a fastball. Mm-hmm. Straight up, um, and and that is going to be uh, a little antithetical to what a lot of listeners think. Correct. Um, the research shows throwing a fastball has more stress than throwing breaking balls. So if you have a pitching coach or go to a pitching coach or know a pitching coach who tells you to not throw breaking balls on a rehab program, and that's the solve, or that tells you like. Whatever it is that they think breaking balls cause more stress on an arm than a fastball does, that is not accurate, and it's right. been proven. Right. 
and it's not proven just by us. We're right. talking about the American Society of the American Sports Medicine Institute. Right. We're talking about Dr. Glenn Fleissig. We're talking about numerous studies that all come yep. to the same conclusion. Um, so understand that throwing, period, is going to produce some amount of load on your arm. We also understand that human beings are adaptable to stimulus that they are given and the stresses that they are given, right? So it's not that stress is something to be avoided. It's stress and stress response is something you can condition within range and you do it appropriately. Go by the book. Um, so the way that we think about velocity development is like, yeah, throwing harder is great. But if we raise the ceiling, and by doing that, we raise the floor with it, then the effectiveness of that 85 to 90% throw is automatically greater. Yes. This presumption that, like, we are telling kids that, like, every kid they need to let it rip, I think, is just is just flatly incorrect. Well, yes and no. Like, Sometimes there's times for that, right? Well, but, like... For sure, we raise their floors so we can raise. We raise their ceilings so we can raise their floor as well. But you do have to be intentional about walking, like uh, helping a pitcher understand how they need to get through a game. Yes. Because if you don't tell them and and help them sequence and explain, I want you to get through five innings, and this is how we're going to do it, or six innings, or whatever it is, x amount of pitches. They are going to, like, every kid is going to have a hard time not going to try and chuck it as hard as they can because they want to strike a kid out. They want to make a kid, sort a kid, whatever it is. There was a, I don't know, someone may have written a manifesto about us. Uh, And one of the things that was included in there was the fact that my dugout, it was a rallying cry to yell the word 80. So that they pitched at 80%. So literally exactly what you're saying, I did with my kids because... When they thought about pitching at 100%, they were all over the place. They were out of control. They weren't trying to attack the batter. They were trying to PR. When we started to say 80, they still threw way higher than 80% because they're in a game, the adrenaline's going. Like It's going to be really hard for a kid to actually have his RP at 80 in a game situation. But they weren't trying to PR on every pitch. They were more under control. They were, they were, they were pitching instead of throwing. And that was like a huge thing that we worked on with my kids last year because it was way too much of the, I'm trying to throw an assessment bullpen here and, and set my PR. And like, you know, we PR, uh, we are assessment bullpens every six weeks. They're done in the same environment down to, we use a stalker radar gun. You cannot get a PR for us in house if it's on a pocket radar. Or, or any other system, even a track man, which is more accurate, right? Like, that's not your PR. Your PR is from this same controlled environment that we do every six weeks, what's the hardest you've ever thrown? So, like, I don't – you can't even PR out here because we're using pocket radars because we're at a field. And we don't, you know, we don't have that kind of money where we could have every team with a stalker, right? So, we're using pocket radars. It, if you PR, I'm proud of you. It means absolutely nothing. It's not a real PR. Just go and get outs. Work your way through a lineup. If you're facing, you know, depending on where you live, hitters 7 to 10, 6 to 10. If you live in the state of Washington, maybe it's 4 to 10. Uh, you can probably throw 70% in 10 and get those guys out and be really efficient. Right. And I have pitchers who know how to do that and will get through a complete game. Because the first couple innings, 
eh, first time through the order, I'll kind of junk ball you a little bit and show you what I got. Second time through the order, now and, and then that first time I see what your what their approaches are, mm-hmm. how aggressive they are, which kids actually have good swings. What at second time through the lineup, now I've got that information. Now maybe I saw that first time. Wow, the that first hitter, really aggressive on the first pitch. I'm gonna reach back for it on this first pitch and blow it past him because I know he's gonna try to swing. Right. I'm gonna try to blow it past him. That third hitter, really unaggressive early, so I'm gonna just throw him a cupcake. But then He's a really good hitter when he gets to two strikes. Okay, I'm going to need to reach back for that. Maybe you're reaching back 10 times a game for your 100% PR effort pitch or whatever they feel like it is, but they're throwing the rest of it at somewhere between what I tell them, 70 and 85%, knowing that it's probably a lot closer to 100 than it is to 80, but they don't. it's the mentality piece of it where they're not trying to PR or just throw, they're actively trying to pitch and get guys out and not worrying about what the velo number is because I told them not to worry about what the velo number is. Yeah. So like, you do have to make that conscious choice to have that conversation, and I agree with you. We don't talk about that enough publicly because most of what we share is the PRs and kids pulling down and assessment sure. bullpenning, things like that, uh, especially because we have a limited amount of time where we play it during the year. Yep. So the other nine months, we are talking about training stuff, which, yeah, yeah that's PRs, that's stuff like that. Yep. And you, you do have to make it, that conscious choice. And you have to see that in service of this larger thing, which is raise the ceiling, raise the floor. So, again, right. if we are going to operate at some sort of sub-maximal intent, that still needs to be effective. Right. Right? Like, so, so Dustin, I, I completely understand this thing, and I understand it relative to probably just the way that we've messaged it. Right. You know, like, I, I this... We we, bear, and we've messed that up. Yeah. Yep. We, for we sure. We bear a ton of responsibility here. So... So I understand what you're saying that like... Um, and we messed that up in-house last year. Yes. We had way too many walks and way too many strikeouts because yep. kids were trying to PR on bat speed and PR on throwing velocity in a game yep. for the first month of the season. Yep. And it's like, yep, we messed up that messaging. We didn't do a good enough job separating the training and game environments. Yes. You train at 100%. You should never play your game at 100%. You got to be in control. But your 100% training has given you way more tools to be in control with. Yeah. So uh, I think the the sound like an asshole here, but I think the the right way to think about this is like both things. There's a, there's a season for both, mm-hmm. right? There is a season for letting it rip, for conditioning to yep. the arm to tolerate and and recover from intense stimulus. That is a thing that kids need. You don't want to go into competition looking, staring at stress that's going to be high stress in the face because that's what the game demands and never have conditioned either to that level or above it. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. But when you get in the game, we're in the out business. Yeah. Right? And there's a bunch of ways you can do that. Now, I guess the, the question I would ask is like, well, what where are you getting the signal that like everybody's letting it rip? Well, does that look like what it looks like in the showcase? Like, sure, absolutely, right? You know, when I see kids doing a full-on like five-step shuffle from shortstop and lasering, you know, throwing yeah. a ball across a diamond, they're not trying to get an out. They're throwing they're the gun, off yeah. right? It, it, why? Because that's what we created, right? Like that's that's the system that we gave them. Yeah. We didn't come up with a different way to measure throwing velocity, so now we kind of like this – you know, this pantomime of like, well, here, just feel this cupcake grounder and then take like seven steps and let it rip and pull down across the diamond, right. right? Like that's that's the thing that the kids have been given. And again, I think some of this comes back to what we were talking about literally last week about the perspective, like the data-driven perspective on showcases where if you only get that data once a year, 
I think you're conditioned to approach it that way. Mm-hmm. Us, on the other hand, right? Like the reason we spend all this time talking about velocity and stuff is that the better this pitch moves and the less prepared the hitter is to generate ideal contact, you're more likely to get bad contact, which turns into ground ball outs or turns into pop-ups. I like that. Um, You're also going to have kids that might not be, you know, this is like the starter versus closer thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is probably not as relevant to like 12 and under. 12 and under, everybody's just going to be kind of salad at pitching. and Which is why I would almost make the other argument that, like, 12 should just go out there and chuck it. Agree. That's exactly throw what I was going to Throw two innings. Say. Get, have yep. four kids throw two innings apiece. You probably will be able to get through a seven-inning game. Well, yes. time limits will, will maybe <laughs> not get you to seven, but, yep. like, yeah, do that thing. Yes. Distribute the workload. Right. right? Um, so as they get older, right, you know, you're going to have kids that are – Slow heartbeat guys and high heartbeat guys. Like I was talking to um, Joel Condoray, who's one of our driveline trainees, slash he basically works here now. He's a pitching trainer. Yeah, Joel's the man. Yeah. Um, Joel was talking about, you know, when he was younger, he tried to be a starter. He tried to be like a low heartbeat guy. Yeah. Didn't work for him. Nope. He realized as he got older, he just needed to be like a high output, high heartbeat guy. A conversation I have had with your child. I. That's why I'm bringing yep. it up. Um, because, again... I think as these kids get a little bit older, past the 12U thing where you distribute the workload evenly, kids are going to kind of, you're going to figure out where they land, right? And and some of them are going to be, I can cruise at 70 to 85% and I'm going to do that thing. And you're going to have the other kids who are like, let me get one inning and let me send it. Now, sending it in that inning still might be 85%. Right. Right? Like, because again, we're in the out business. Yep. So, uh, so I guess, you know, Dustin, at the end of the day, um, it's entirely possible that some of this, that we bear some amount of responsibility in this whole thing about this idea that, you know, we only want throwers, not pitchers. I can assure you, again, the reason we're running in this team format is so that we can execute the holistic approach, which is in the offseason, we're going to develop velocity away from the game, and you can probably be a little bit thrower. Mm-hmm. The closer we get to playing a game, cap, belt, pants. Yeah. Now you got to be a pitcher. Yep. So so if you think that we slash I are saying that you're only going to exist on one side of that equation all year round, uh, that's my bad. Yeah. But that ain't it. Yeah. And I, I, this is also one of the benefits of training the way we train, where we've got clear recovery days, B yes. days, and A days. Yes. So I can tell, I can go make a mound visit in the middle of the game and I'll throw a random name out here. Be like, hey, Eli, I love you. You are throwing more than an A-day right now. You are throwing an assessment bullpen on this mound. I need you to throw a B-day. And they, they know what that feels like. They know what that means with their body, what their, with their arm speed. They're more in control. We're good. Okay. Uh, they're more in control as opposed to just like trying to tell them, hey, take 20% off. That's a lot harder, especially if they haven't trained that way, yeah. to understand with their bodies. And that's where you wind up with kids throwing like 50%. And then like they're completely changing their mechanics and just lobbing over the plate yep. to pitch to contact, which is not what you want. So like now we've gone in the opposite direction when like we just went right past where like the good part was and went to the bad part. So there's like bad on both ends. There's a the happy ground in the middle. Um, and it's a lot easier when you train with the data and like, 
you know, using a pulse sensor even, uh, yes. like will really help them understand the difference in what their body feels like and how their body moves between a day where we're asking them to throw 60%, a day we're asking them to throw 80, and a day we're asking them to throw like 90 or 100. Yep. And the game is the, you know, again, this whole, this whole you know, the presumption that uh, proper recovery, nutrition, and limiting pitches is going to have this flat blanket effect on the, on the game environment. No, because the game schedule, specifically in terms of tournaments, you can't have a recovery day on Sunday. Correct. Like yeah. the, the system doesn't work that way. Right. And, you know, if you if you have the good fortune of like playing on Friday day and you got two on Saturday and then you were in the in the winter's bracket on a Sunday and you might have to play three more games. Yeah. Better have enough pitchers. You better have enough arms. Yeah. You better have enough arms. So um so you know, I wanted to say I wanted to say thank you for Dustin to submitting the question yeah. because I good question. I think it's a good thing for us to be able to talk about. I wonder if there are other people that have questions like that or like, well, I'm not going to submit that to Devin and Jeremy because they're just going to rip my head off. And like, it's a good ass question. Send more. We will answer. Yeah. Please send um, us questions. But yeah, man, you know, I cap belt. We're in the out business. Mm-hmm. We're in the out business training when we can strictly control the schedule. Okay. Well now we can now we can do all that other fancy stuff with velocity development because we can control when the recovery is. Yeah. It's the whole and point. And one of the things with yours that day that he had a not great one and still got outs was he would like turn to me and be like, that was such a shitty slider. Be like, did you see the swing? <laughs> <laughs> like throw your shittiest slider. If that's the swing you get with your shittiest yeah. slider, we are in a great spot. Yeah. Yeah. Context, context, context. Yep. We should make context, context, context shirts. Okay. Shirts. Shirts. Apparel. It's coming. Apparel is literally coming. The book is done. I'm going to have time to do some designs. Jeremy's working on some other stuff. We're like literally going to be able to do the thing. So you'll be able to buy it. You got anything else? I got got nothing else. I feel complete. Yeah, I got nothing else. Um, So thank you for joining us on the relatively expletive free. uh, Yeah, we said we were going to. And then I think we both dropped one and that was it. Yeah. So, So, uh, yeah. So I don't know. You can. Am I really going to edit the. I don't think I'm going to go through and edit it. I don't know. If you want like an expletive free version of this, you can at me on socials or at the youth account and I'll take a couple hours and premiere to do it. It actually won't be a couple hours. It'll be quick. Um, DL20 Donate Love 20. Isn't that what I said it was? Donation Love 20. Something like that. Is that what you said? Was it donation? Donation. I don't know. Yeah, that sounds right. Donate Love. Yeah. Yeah, DL20 20% off. Axbat.com. Training Bats, Game Bats. They got new stuff coming out later this month. It's good. Skills of Skill book is on sale right now. Youth Underlet Smash Bat under on sale right now. The new bat, new bat is probably less than a month away. It's another training bat. We'll talk about it next time. We'll talk about it next time. Yeah, we'll talk about it next time. That that should be the pod. I think we should bring on uh, Koba to talk about that bat. He I've never it. seen anybody love. Anything more than that child loves that bat. I love it. I love it. Uh, hey, we're making products that kids love. Super weird. Yeah. Uh, that's all I got. Thank you guys for joining us. And again, uh, I'll make my my thirty second plea. If you've got thirty seconds and you haven't like reviewed the show on iTunes or social, 
Uh, if you can do those things, it's greatly appreciated. And all it's going to do is that the algorithm is going to serve this content, which hopefully you enjoy, to other people that might be interested to it. They might be listening to another sportscast, another uh, baseball podcast. They might be listening to a parenting podcast. And the more that we can get this thing out, I think the more good that we're trying to do. Yeah. So if you got 30 seconds, greatly appreciated. That's all I got. We'll catch you guys next time.